Well, again, welcome this morning. Glad, glad you're here as we continue our time in the Gospel of Matthew uh, right here in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' most, most famous sermon. We've been here a few weeks. We've got a few more weeks in this sermon uh, to go, but we're glad that you're here. My name is Nathan. I'm the campus pastor. Uh, it's great to, to be together here with you this morning. Okay, so I have, I have nothing against Facebook, just for the record. Uh, I use Facebook my wife uses Facebook, the church uses Facebook. There's nothing wrong with Facebook, I, except that maybe it's kind of destroying the world just a little bit. Um, and and not, not really, okay? It's not, it's not Facebook's fault. It just makes it so easy. Uh, so easy to, to show people, not just who I am, and that's, you know, whatever, that's fine, uh, but to show people who I wish I was. You know what I'm saying? And oftentimes, like, not even necessarily on purpose, it just sort of becomes, I mean, it's the highlights reel, right? It's our very best edited selves that we get to project out to the world beyond, right? Uh, we, we may not even necessarily realize it, and yet, you know, I, I am able there to project not just who I am, but who I want you to think I am. And in fact, there's a, a growing science around this whole thing. Uh, if you were to Google personal brand, you'll find countless advice on how to p- appear better than you, than you actually are. In fact, one of my, my, one of my favorite sources is from uh, The Onion, the cynics there. I mean, I, I love The Onion. I actually enjoy fake news way more than real news. Um, <laughs> but they, they give some advice here. A guide to building uh, your personal brand. Uh, let me read just a few of their tips. Okay, this is how they're suggesting that we build our personal brand, particularly online. They write, ask yourself, what really makes you you? Is it your desperate need for validation or your complete lack of shame when it comes to self-promotion? People love raw, unfiltered personalities, so try to meticulously cultivate the impression that you have one of those. Uh, Remember that the internet is a meritocracy where the best, most innovative ideas win, so try to be as physically attractive as possible, right? One more, patiently build your personal brand brick by brick with engaging posts and thoughtful content that is meaningful to your audience. And if that fails, just start insulting people, right? I mean, that's kind of how how it works, right? And there's there's a lot of sarcasm in that article you probably picked up, and yet at the same time, it's sort of like, well, yeah, it kind of sounds about right, doesn't it? And, and of course, we, we all want to look good, right? I mean, every, everybody here, right? We, we all want to, to look good. We want to be affirmed by, by the people around us. But we're obsessed. And in fact, I would say that we are in danger of caring more about who we appear to be than we do about who we actually are. And, and it's, not, it's not just Facebook, of course not. I mean, you, you name it, right? I, mean, I can remember early on in marriage, such a concrete, like one of those memories that just stands out very formatively. Kelly was gone. And I remember I was, I was loading the dishwasher um, and I had this internal conversation with myself. Of, you know, maybe, maybe I should wait to finish, right? And start it just as she's coming in the door, right? I mean, that, that way she knows how awesome a husband I am, Right? Don't tell me you haven't done this. I know you have, right? I mean, what's, what's the point of doing a good deed if nobody's there to notice? Well, the biblical word for this is hypocrite. Probably are familiar with that word, right? Uh, 
Uh, in fact, we probably are aware that as Christians, we're accused of being hypocrites all the time, aren't we? It's mostly because we're hypocrites, right? But here's the deal, and I'm not trying to get us as Christians off the hook here. This isn't like an excuse, but that's, that's not a Christian thing, right? I mean, that's, that's just part of who we are, right? It doesn't matter what your background is, how you grew up. All of us want to appear better than we actually are, don't we? Every one of us. I mean, I, I want you to think I'm a better parent than I really am. Uh, I want you to think that my life is more fun and exciting than it actually is. We want people to think that, that we make more money than we do, that we're more interesting than we are, that we're smarter than we are, better looking or more original. You name it, right? And we can fake it. This isn't just a Christian problem. It's not even just a, a 21st century technology problem. People, this is a human problem. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus calls us out on all of it. And so here we are this morning, back in the Sermon on the Mount. This most famous sermon of Jesus is recorded by, by Matthew. And last week, if you are here last week, I mean, it's pretty hard, right? Let's be honest. I'm glad you came back. It was, it was rough, right? I mean, Jesus makes it excessively clear in this, the previous section we looked at that all of our attempts to keep the rules aren't possibly enough. That even if we could obey all of the rules, every rule ever, it doesn't fix the problem here. That our hearts are just rotten. Now, this morning... I mean, it's really the same thing over again, honestly. So, sorry about that. But it's the, it's the other side of this same coin. That not only are our bad deeds way worse than we think they are, uh, even our motivation for doing the good things is so often lousy. Because I want to feel good about myself. And I want to be noticed. I want all of you to feel good about me. And I want to look I want, to, I want to fit the image that I'm trying to create. From, I want to build for myself a personal brand. But here's what Jesus gets at this morning. And this might, this might catch you a little off guard, but I, I'm convinced this is what Jesus is saying, that if you want to live a good life, your life needs more secrets. Which again, might sound weird, right? Because you've got plenty of secrets and most of us are the bad kind, right? Uh, that's, that's not what we're talking about. You need probably less of those, right? Um, but there are, Jesus is saying, there's a kind of secret that actually nourishes you. That's actually good, good for your soul. Things that we do and pursue for one reason and one reason only. Simply because God sees. And that's enough which I realize is probably a tough sell for us, isn't it? Because we love for people to think we're so great, right? And so this morning, as we look at this text, in Matthew chapter six, if you have a Bible turned there, we'll have the um, scripture on the screen as well, or you can, you can look at it on your mobile device. Um, but here, here in Matthew chapter six, we're gonna try to answer three questions, because this is a hard sell for us, right? So there's three, three questions. Why do we need secrets? Uh, what does the secret life look like, and how do we, how do, we do it? So why, what, and, and how? All right, so let's, let's, let's jump in here. Why do we need secrets? Quite simply, we need secrets because we have an audience problem. We're obsessed with what other people think of us. And if we're honest, they often have a great deal of control in our lives. Now, I realize that even in saying that, some of you are like, that's not me. I don't care what other people think of me. 
I do whatever I want. You know, I march to the beat of my own drum or whatever, right? And, and I get that. I don't, I don't mean any disrespect by saying this. I just don't believe you. Um, you may think that, and honestly, you may not care as much as others. You may not care about the same things as others or the same kinds of people and their approval as others do. But, I mean, unless, unless you're a narcissist or a sociopath, you care deeply about what other people think of you. And for some of us, there are people whose approval we're just, we're dying for. We all have an audience problem. Meanwhile, the opinion of the one who matters most, the real audience, capital A audience, he's always watching and he sees not, not just the bad things we do, not just even the good things we do. He sees the reasons behind all of the good things, all of our motivations, all those internal things. And so, so he says, verse one, right? He begins it. We heard, heard some of these words read. Uh, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other, before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your father who is in heaven. Beware. Jesus says. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a strong statement for him, right? In this, it's like, watch out for it. This is, this is dangerous. And this, it's a strong warning because it happens so easily for us, right? I mean, even, even as these verses continue, Jesus is about to describe the kind of person most of us would admire. I mean, we would applaud. We'd say, this person is living a good life. He's doing it the right, the right way. Frankly, it's somebody who looks a lot like a lot of us because we're good people, Right? And everyone culturally around Jesus would have said, around Jesus would have said, yeah, this is a good person living a good, good life. And Jesus is about to say, nope, he's not. Because not only is it really easy to deceive others, it's actually quite easy to, to deceive ourselves. And that's, that's the real danger. I'm a good person. Everybody says so. Well, not, not everybody. Now, we got we to gotta back up for a second here. Because maybe you're hearing these words, and if you've been with us and we talked through the Sermon on the Mount these last few weeks, you might be remembering back, like Jesus just said a few paragraphs earlier that people sh should see our good deeds and give glory to our Father in heaven. Jesus actually, right, he just said those words. That's the idea of salt and light. Jesus isn't contradicting himself, but it's all about the motivation of the heart, right? He says, in order to be seen by them, like as if that's, that's the goal, and so Jesus is doing the exact same thing he did last week. Frankly, that's the thing he always does. He brings it back to what's in here, not just what we see on the surface. And Jesus calls this person three times. In all three of the examples he gives, he calls him a hypocrite. Again, it's a word we're familiar with, but um, did you know that Jesus is quite possibly the very first person to use that word as an insult? probably started with him, possibly even right here with this sermon. Because a hypocrite was just the Greek word for actor, somebody on the stage. Uh, and Jesus grew up just a few miles from uh, a theater in kind of outside of the, the Nazareth region. You can see it's obviously been being reconstructed there, but that was just a few miles down the road from where he would have grown up. And maybe, maybe he saw some plays, right? Maybe, maybe he knew the stories. Maybe he knew what was happening there. He knew about hypocrites on the stage, That it was somebody who plays a part, who pretends, right? Who fakes it. And it's fun on the stage. 
but it's disastrous in real life. And not only can we be enslaved by the opinions of others, Jesus says we can miss out on the real reward. You and I, friends, we need more secrets. Okay, so it's, it's probably still a little bit foggy. I, I get that. That's okay. Jesus is going to give us these, these three examples, right? We've only looked at the first verse here. But he gives us these three examples to help us sort of figure out what does the secret life look like? What does he mean when he, when he talks about this? And, and the three examples Jesus gives are giving, praying, and fasting. Because for them, right, in that day, I mean, those are just the staples of the good life. That's what good people always did. It's what they were known for doing. They were pillars of their, their society, their culture, their, their religion. And so Jesus begins each of these, really, I mean, I mean, truth be told, he says the exact same thing three times, just in different ways, right? So it follows the exact same pattern. He's pointing out over and over the, the same thing. And he says at the very beginning with each of these, when you give, when you pray, when you fast, and so, I mean, Jesus assumes that that's something that's part of our lives, something that we'll, we'll do. And then, verse two, he gives the first example. He says, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do, the actors in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Okay, now it's, it's hyperbole again, right? Obviously your right hand is gonna be somehow aware of what's going on in your left, okay? Um, but the point, the point that Jesus is saying is that, yes, go out of your way to be generous. Find people in need and meet those needs. That that, when you do these things, it's just sort of, of course you're going to do these things, Jesus is saying. But we all know in those moments of generosity, right, the, the motives get all screwy, don't they? I mean, all of a sudden, all kinds of different things come to mind. I mean, how people are going to respond to us, what they're going to think of us, how much power that gives us, whether or not that indebts them to, I mean, all kinds of things. And so Jesus says, you know what? Your heart's a mess, even when you give. So here's a good rule of thumb. Be sneaky with your generosity, it's just, it's just safer for your heart, he's saying. Well, then he gives the example of, of prayer. And again, it's, it's really the same thing. Except with, except with prayer, Jesus actually gives two examples because one's not enough for how messed up we are. We can actually take something as good and beautiful as, as prayer, right? Like, does it get any more spiritual than prayer? And we can mess that up too. We, we can do the same thing. We right? can do it to impress others, right? Which is doing with the whole um, giving thing. Um, but we can also even do it to impress God, Right? Well, yeah, that's kind of the, this, the second example is. He focuses in on that, that, you know, man, because our prayers are so awesome um, and we pray the exact right words and we pray long enough. And, and if we do all of that, then God, he's got he's to give me what I want, right? And we treat prayer more like a magic spell than a conversation. And Jesus says, that's, that's dumb too. Don't do that. Because um, God already knows what you need. And then, and then Jesus, if you're looking at your text, um, he gives us this model prayer. We often call it the Lord's Prayer, right? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We, many of us know that prayer, um, pray that prayer. And Jesus here, he's not saying that we can't pray publicly. He's just saying that our goal cannot be to be seen. It, it cannot be to gain the approval or, or the admiration of others, even God, to impress him, to try to twist his arm into doing what we want. Our personal brand should be the last thing on our minds when we pray. 
Last example is fasting. Which that might be a little bit of a unique concept for some of us. I'd encourage you to try it if you've not fasted before. Um, it's a very effective discipline, or at least it can be. But essentially fasting is giving up something uh, that you don't have to give up for a time for a purpose. You can give up TV or media, right? You can, you know, give up food or, or sugar or, or whatever, right? Anything for that to kind of sort of discipline ourselves and to put ourselves in a posture uh, before God. But what's on display in this text, what they would have been fasting for is food. That, that's the most common form of fasting. And the goal of fasting, really, I mean, it's to, it's to break the idols that live within us. It's to, to realign our, our appetites, right? It's to, to, to pause from our addictions. Like, I mean, the idea of fasting is like, if you can discipline yourself to not eat food, something that you actually need, your, your body actually needs, and you can learn to discipline yourself for other, other appetites in your life that are out of control. That, that's kind of the idea. So fasting is about humility. It's about repentance. It's, it's about realigning our priorities before God. Just don't brag about it, Jesus says. I mean, don't, don't try to get people's pity, right? I mean, it's because of how pietistic, how godly you are. I mean, Jesus is like, that's, that's gross. Don't do that. It defeats the whole purpose. And so he says in verse 16, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and their, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And the same thing he said in each of these, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now again, Jesus includes these three examples because they were the common ones for them. But he's not trying to be exhaustive, and I think we know better, right? Um, any good deed can be abused. Like any, anything good in our lives, we can, we can take it and use it for, for wrong things to, to make ourselves look better or to feel good about all kinds. I mean, so what else would you add to the list, right? What would be the ones that you'd put on there? I mean, I mentioned parenting. Um... I mean, are you a different parent when you're with people and when you're not? I mean, I'm an amazing parent when people are looking, right? Who's not, right? Of course, but how about, how about when nobody's looking? Or maybe, maybe think about the ways in which you serve others, serve in your home, serve here at church or, or whatever it is. I mean, just kind of go back through your track record. Are you more drawn to the things that give you a little, just a tiny little pat? People, something that people notice that's important enough. I mean, the things that nobody notices, I mean, that's just not for me, right? It's just not my, my spiritual gift wheelhouse or whatever. We make excuses to make it sound okay, but is it really just, man, I just love being patted on the back. Or maybe, maybe it's a cause, right? And there's a cause that you're just passionate about and you'll, you'll post about it and you'll, you'll talk about it with others and, and all of that. And I don't minimize the fact that there are causes we're passionate about. But in the back of my mind, man, if I could just, you know, somehow get a selfie of me in this cause, right? And post that. And so, so I'm, I'm, people can know how concerned I am about this. It so easily becomes about, about me. And I, I'm convinced. I don't think we, it's like we always do this on purpose. Like I just want more attention, right? Everybody look at me. I don't, I think it's just such a, it's just sort of the background noise of our existence, isn't it? Of who's noticing who can I impress? Who will pat me? Who will give me a compliment? Who will make me feel a little bit better about what I know is actually in here? 
And I know I deceive myself into building up my image. Jesus says, when we do it to be seen, like when that's the goal, right? He's pretty frank about it, isn't he? So if that's what you want, that's what you're going to get. I mean, he calls it out. If you want to be patted on the back for something, it's really not that hard to get people to pat you on the back and give you a nice little compliment. If you want a warm fuzzy, right? If you want to feel good, you can find all kinds of ways to get little nice little warm feelings inside for how good we are. But Jesus says, that's it though. If that's what you're after, that's what you're going to get. If you want a real reward, if you want the creator of the universe to look at you and say, well done, well then your life needs more secrets. Have you ever read the, the book, um, Picture of Dorian Gray by Oscar Wilde. Anybody familiar with this? It's kind of an old little, made short. It's one of my favorites, actually. It's a powerful little story, this incredible metaphor uh, for life. And especially if you know Oscar Wilde's own history and background and um, the pain that he in, went through personally. Um, anyway, the story, if you, don't, if you don't know it, it's about this guy, Dorian Gray. It's probably pretty obvious. Um, but at the beginning of the story, and again, it's a, short, it's a short little book, but he kind of makes this deal. He trades his soul for endless youth and beauty and charisma and just all around likability, right? And he makes this trade. And obviously we know that, that we can't really do that, but it, I mean, it's one of those trades where you kind of think about it like, if that was an option in my life, we, we'd all have to think about it, wouldn't we? Because we love those things. And so he makes this trade and he, he is the life of every party. Uh, he never ages, which is kind of weird, but kind of awesome, right? And, and people... People love him, admire him. Women want him and men want to be him, right? He's that kind of guy, right? But the reader knows that inwardly, inwardly he is consumed with shame and greed and lust and deceit and betrayal. All of it lives, I mean, there is darkness within him. But everybody else is fooled. But in this deal that he made, there's this picture of Dorian Gray, right? Um, that he's got locked up in his attic, and part of the deal was that this picture is going to reveal the true, the true Dorian Gray. It's going to show outwardly what's actually living on, on the inside. And, and as the, the book goes on, the story in his life, it, his face becomes twisted in the picture. Hideous, monstrous. And he's haunted by what he knows he is, what he actually looks like. I mean, so much, I mean, he's haunted till, till his death and he hides it away. But at least he looked great, Right? Isn't that enough? People, I don't want to end up like that. Just a, a hollow self. A, a personal brand with no real substance. I don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to live enslaved anymore to the opinions of others and to whether or not I'm, I'm liked and approved of. I don't want a million critics calling the shots in my life. So how do, we, how do we embrace the secret life then? I mean, if these are kind of the options that Jesus is laying out for us, and we, we know, I mean, you know, right? Or our hearts gravitate towards. How do we actually embrace what he's talking about? First, and this, this is gonna sound crazy to some of you, but I'm gonna say it anyway. We've got, first, we've gotta repent of our good works. Maybe that sounds weird, right? Um, I mean, repent of our, of our good works, Right? But let me say, I, I think this is one of the most unique parts of the Christian life because every other religion knows that you're supposed to repent of the bad things, right? 
that you're supposed to turn away from them and, and push them aside and, and, and be sorry for them, essentially. And, and frankly, even if you're not religious, you know that there are bad things. You may have a different list than, than some of us have, but there, there are bad things you don't do, right? And you feel bad if you do them. Everybody repents of the junk in their lives. Everybody wants to get rid of that. But Christians, those who have met Jesus, who've encountered him, who have seen him, we also know that even our, even our good stuff falls so short. That even the best things that we can do, even there, it's just, it's not enough that, that our good cannot save us, that it cannot accomplish what we want in us, that there's always a taint, there's always bad motives, there's always something, even in our very best deeds that holds us back. I mean, yes, do good deeds, right? Um, find ways to serve and love and, and all of that, Absolutely. But we know better than to think that my righteousness rises and falls based on how good I am. Jesus began his ministry with one word. Do you remember what it was? Repent. And we know that that means not just the bad things we do. And yes, we turn from the bad. We, we reject it. We say, no, that's not, that's not who I am anymore. But we also confess all of the broken motives behind all of the good things we do and how messy we are as humans. Yes, we are that broken and yes, his grace is that amazing. So first, repent. Repent of your good works. Second, this is probably the most obvious. Um, second, you've got to choose your audience. Because you have one, right? We all have one. Um, or, or two, you know, there's, there's people in your life that you, you're trying to impress. You're trying to gain their, their approval um, and, and all of that. Everybody has an audience. Even if it's just yourself, frankly. Um, trying to, to impress yourself, to ma match up to your own, to your own expectations. Uh, but even that stinks, because you're not, you're not going to do it. You, you can't. Um, and the opinions of the people around you, right? You're just, you're not going to please everybody. And so you've got to pick the audience that matters. Wh which one is it going to be? Because God help me, it's not on Facebook, Right? It's not at work or at school. It's not on the soccer field. It's not, it's not your friends. It's not, it's not your enemies, right? Sometimes even our enemies have way more control in our lives than we want, than we want to believe. Kids, it's not your parents. Parents, it's not your kids, right? It's not, it's not, your, it's not your spouse. It's not your closest friends. It's not, it cannot be found there because it's, we're too imperfect, the criticism mounts, right? We, judgmentalism lives within us and it so quickly comes out. We've got to pick a better audience. And I, I've got to tell you, I, I think this is, for me, one of the hardest parts of being a pastor. This isn't a, a pity me thing. I don't, I don't mean that at all. Um, but, but part of my job description is to live a visible life, right? I mean, it's just part of what it is, to, to let you see the bad and the good and hopefully to see how Jesus is, is working in all of that, to live a, a visible public life. Um, but I think one of the reasons there's a lot of pastors who are a mess is because it's just really easy to fake, especially when the expectation upon you is, well, show me how it's done, right? It's so easy to fake. And I can live or die based on your approval if I'm not careful. And if you're my audience, I mean, this, this job is going to kill me, honestly. But you want to know, because it's not just pastors, right? I mean, let's, right? This is my example. I can give out of, speak out of my own life. Um, but you want to hear one of, the, one of the best things ever? I mean, talk about, talk about good news here, people. 
I mean, think about this for a moment. God doesn't actually care what other people think of you. I mean, just, just think about that for a second, right? I mean, God's not like, he doesn't have a tally of, of how everybody approaches you or thinks about you. He's keeping track, trying to figure out what his own opinion is going to be. God's going to make his own opinion. I mean, isn't that a relief? He doesn't care what other people think of you. Not ultimately. And that is good news because people are the worst. I'm the worst. I mean, I'm a terrible critic. We're, we're judgmental. We're, I mean, in the bar, like, changes, right? We just change it in a second. We expect different things all of a sudden than we did before. And if you keep trying to live up to that, it's, it's going to kill you. And yet, even so, I spend so much of my life trying to be my own PR director. So here's, here's the next step. It's an old-fashioned thing called the discipline of secrecy. And the, the reality is, the harder this discipline is for you, the more you need it. I need it a lot. Um, and the more often you need it. And the discipline of secrecy is simply doing stuff that's good that nobody sees and won't see or ever give you credit for. Like going out of your way to, 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 to be secretive in that and the way that you serve and care for others. And so, yeah, a simple next step, maybe just find something today, this afternoon. Um, Maybe later this week, think through, how can, I, how can I serve someone? What good thing can I do for another human being that I will not get any credit for whatsoever? That won't even be noticed a tiny bit. I mean, kids, maybe something for your sibling, right? And don't expect your parents to notice either. I mean, husbands, wives, roommates, don't, don't wait, you know, to start the dishwasher, Right? Um, maybe it's a project at school or work and it just needs to be done. Maybe, maybe it's somebody in your community group that has a real need and you can meet that need and it's going to take some creativity, but you can figure out how to do that in a way that they don't, they don't have any idea who did it. Maybe it's an encouraging note. A simple way to, to serve another person and get no credit. I need more secrets. And to think that no one will ever see, ever notice, ever. I mean, how does that make you feel, right, thinking about that? That's a, kind of a good sort of revealing thing, the idea of doing good things on a regular basis for other people that you get nothing for. Nothing. Is that enough for you that God sees and he who sees will reward you? All right, I want one more thing here because some of you might be hearing all of this and thinking, Nathan, um, you've got it all wrong, right? Like maybe, maybe you're like, I, I realize human critics are terrible, right? And we, we know that. I don't think, that's not a mystery to anybody. Um, but God is God, right? He's perfect. He's holy. He's righteous and just. And so, yeah, I know I can't live for the approval of others, but to, to trade that with, a, with God, how, do, how does that work? Well, I get that, right? Maybe, maybe you feel that, right? How do we do this? And that's why this last one is just so essential. essential. You've got to trust God as a father and not as another critic. Because everyone in your life will judge you, will critique you, will raise or change the bar on you, right? It's constant. But what's so amazing in these 18 verses, we miss it uh, because it's just sort of like we're just used to it by now. Um, but for Jesus' original hearers, what is happening in these verses is absolutely revolutionary. Do you notice what he says? 11 times in 18 verses, he calls God our Father. 
Not just his father as the son of God, but our father. Again, we're used to it, right? We've been calling God our father for 2,000 years. But this is essentially where it begins. Jesus is the one who began to to make that clear to us, who began to reveal God, not simply as as a judge, not simply as someone we're, we're accountable to, although we are, but as a perfect and good, loving father. And like we said last week, or we ended last week by saying that God is, um, he's hard to satisfy, but he's easy to please. Hard to satisfy, but easy to please. And the example we gave, right, is of a child learning to walk. What, what dad in that moment doesn't take joy watching his child learn to walk? But those first steps are, they're terrible, right? I mean, they're clumsy, they're me- I mean, it's just, it's, I mean, it's they're really pathetic, right? Um, watching a child learn to walk. And yet, of course, a dad rejoices in that moment. A good father loves that, celebrates that, and gets out the camera and wants to, you know, tell everybody about it. He's not satisfied, right? Like, he wants his kid to actually learn how to walk and run and jump and skip and all those things, right? He's not satisfied in our God. He's not, he's not satisfied. He, he expects us to, to grow and to live into this holy life that he has called us for. But he, he's already pleased. He takes delight in every step. Everything that we do in faith. And so friends, Jesus here, he's giving us, he's giving us a choice. I mean, you can, you can go on living for your critics, right? Knowing that they're going to take everything from you. You'll, you'll never measure up. Or you can live for your father who loves you, who gave up everything for you, who, because of Jesus, Jesus actually came, right, and died and rose again, lived the life that we could never live and died on our, our behalf so that he could offer us welcome into his family, approval and acceptance, that we're adopted in and God looks at any who come to him in faith with absolute delight. And he promises, your father who sees what you do in secret, he will reward you Let's pray. Heavenly Father, for that is who you are through Jesus. God, I pray that we would never grow tired of the fact that you you don't just tolerate us. Uh, You don't even just merely forgive us. But because of Jesus, you welcome us into your family. You adopt us we who have declared war on you, we who run from you, we're family now. And God, I pray that you would be the one that we would strive to please, knowing that, that you're already delighted in us. God, would you forgive us for the ways that we are enslaved to the opinions of others, the ways that we even try to go back to our own opinion of ourselves and, and, and try, to, um, try to just simply be good enough God, I pray that we would learn the beauty of knowing um, that you're pleased while at the same time being pushed to grow and to become the people that you long for us to be. God, help help us learn the power and beauty of secrecy, knowing that you see us and that that's enough. And so, Lord Jesus, would you also teach us to pray Uh, as you taught your disciples to pray. Let's pray together the Lord's Prayer. Uh, The words will be on the screen here. Our Father, who art in heaven, 
hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.